Ephesians chapter number 4, verses 31 and 32 uh, will be our text this morning, going through a Sunday morning series uh, here at Chesbro called One Another, and uh, we've talked about edifying one another, we've talked about loving one another, we've talked about comforting one another, and this morning we're going to talk about forgiving one another forgiving one another. If you have your places in Ephesians chapter 4, please follow along with me as I read verses 31 and 32. The Bible says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Forgive one another. Let's pray one last time. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd clear our minds right now. Lord, I pray that you'd clear our hearts. And Lord, I pray that we would be, we, we would be holy here listening to the Word of God this morning and listening to your Spirit. I pray that the power of God would fill this place and I pray that the truth of God would touch all of our hearts, including mine. Thank you for what you've done for us to be with our service this morning. In Jesus Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. With, the exception, with maybe the exception of Jesus Christ, there was not one person in Scripture who has probably done more wrong than Joseph. Man, Joseph got it bad. Joseph, you know, Joseph was just a kid and, and, and his dad loved him and he got his coat of many colors and, and he would have these dreams and it wasn't his fault that he had had these dreams and, you know, he, he was telling his dad about the dreams and telling his brothers about the dreams and as far as Joseph knew, he wasn't doing anything wrong. Well, then one day his older brothers, and these are, these are brothers that he looked up to, these are men that he, he wanted to aspire to. These are men that, that he wanted to be like one day. These men, they resented him so much that they took Joseph and they threw him in a pit and wanted to leave him for dead. That one of his brothers said, no, let's not leave him for dead. Let's, let's sell him off into slavery. And so they sold David, they sold Joseph off into slavery. And they took the coat and they put blood on it and they told the dad that Joseph had been killed. Joseph went off into slavery and, and Joseph uh, was a slave and he started working for this man named Potiphar and, and became high in Potiphar's house. And then, and then one day uh, uh, Potiphar's wife went after Joseph and Joseph said no and Joseph ran out and Potiphar's wife hollered rape. They took Joseph and they, they threw him in prison and they, they, they threw him there and there he was going to spend the rest of his life until the hand of God intervened and, uh, and, and God brought him out of that prison. And before it was all said and done, Joseph was second in command over the entire nation of Egypt. Right about this time, a famine had come into the, into the whole land and, and uh, Joseph was prepared for it because God told Joseph to prepare. But uh, Israel and Jacob and his family, uh, they didn't have any food. So the brothers went down to Egypt to get food from Pharaoh and, the, and his brothers walk into the, into the place where Joseph was. Joseph immediately recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And so they, they're there and they have no idea they're talking to their brother Joseph. And then they're asking Joseph for this food because there's a famine in the land. Now Joseph had a choice here. Joseph had all the power in the world. 
If Joseph wanted to have these brothers killed, he could have. If Joseph wanted to take these brothers and if he wanted to imprison them for the rest of their lives, he could have done that. But you know what Joseph did? He forgave them. He forgave them. This concept was so foreign to the brothers that even after Joseph forgave him, then later on Jacob died, and then they looked around and they were saying, man, now that, now that Jacob's dead, hey, now that our dad's dead, Joseph's going to get on to us. Joseph's really going to repay us now. And Joseph had to come back and say, listen, fellas, I already forgave you. I already forgave you for that. Hey, listen, don't, don't think about it. It's gone. It's forgiven. Let me tell you something this morning, Christian. You know what God wants from his people? God wants from his people to be a forgiving people. Don't be like the lady that told me one time, uh, I messed up, I, I did wrong to her. I made it right. I came back to her and I said, can you please forgive me? And her exact words to me, I'm sorry, sir. Jesus won't let me forgive you. Don't be like that. I doubt that was from Jesus Christ. Jesus wants his people to be a forgiving people. He wants us to be forgiving. And what I have this morning, if we're going to look in this scripture, and I have three uh, uses of forgiveness that I want to explore this morning. I have three uses <coughs> or aspects of forgiveness that I want to explore this morning. If you could... If you look at verse 31, so I can give you the first one. The first use of forgiveness this morning is the absence of forgiveness. The absence of forgiveness. What does the absence of forgiveness look like? Let's look at verse number 31. The Bible says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Forgiveness or unforgiveness, it does have the ability to, for, to affect others. If I'm seeking forgiveness from you and you forgive me, you've affected me. That's going to improve my life. That's going to affect me greatly. But a lot of times forgiveness doesn't just, just affect the receiver. Forgiveness or unforgiveness really has an effect on the giver. It has an effect on the giver, not just the receiver of the forgiveness. Let me tell you something. Uh, let me give you a warning this morning. The warning that I want to give you is that harboring unforgiveness in your heart is going to change you. Harboring unforgiveness in your heart is going to change your personality. Harboring unforgiveness in your heart is going to change your character. It's going to change you as a person. It's going to change you as a human being. You need to be careful about harboring unforgiveness in your heart. Because unforgiveness this morning has some side effects. And in the absence of forgiveness, the Bible lists the side effects of unforgiveness right here in Scripture. What's the first one? The first one it says is bitterness. Bitterness is the first side effect of unforgiveness. What is that? It, bitterness is a lingering, nagging secret you harbor inside yourself. It's a displeasure that will not go away on its own. When you don't forgive someone, every time you see that person, there it is. It's nagging you. 
Every time you hear their name, there it is. It's nagging you. It's like a, it's like a rock in your shoe. Ever try to, you got a rock in your shoe and you just don't have time, you're too busy to stop and take it out, but it's just nagging you and it won't go away and it'll continue to nag you until you take your smelly shoe off and take your smelly sock off and get that rock out of there. It's unpleasant, but hey, it's got to be done. Hey, let me tell you something today that that bitterness will not go away on its own. Bitterness is what happens on the inside. Everything else we're going to go through today, this morning, is an outward manifestation of the benefit of the bitterness inside of you. Everything we're going to list, it starts with bitterness inside of you. So bitterness is on the inside. Everything else that happens on the outside is an outward manifestation of that bitterness. Some people, they get bitter and immediately you're going to know about it. You make them bitter. It's not going to take long. They're going to let you know. But that's not always the case. Sometimes a person can be bitter and hold it in. Sometimes they can say, oh, I can live with this. I can live with this bitterness. It's not going to affect me that much. It may affect you, but it's not going to affect me. And let me tell you, let me warn you for a time that could be the case. For a time, you could live with bitterness. But over time, it's going to, like a festering sore, it's going to infect other areas of your life. And if you don't deal with it, it's going to spill over into other areas. It's going to change who you are as a person. So the first thing we have this morning as we see is this, this bitterness that if it's not dealt with, is going to consume you. Next, it says wrath. You know what wrath is? Wrath is that first boiling up of passion. Wrath is that wave of rage that comes over you and you feel like you could just take somebody's head off. That's what wrath is. I have felt wrath before. Man, just a wave of red and you turn red and you just, you just oh, you're going to take somebody's head off if they're close, close enough to you. That's wrath, okay? That's wrath right there. What does the Bible say? Ezekiel 3.14 so the spirit lifted me up and took me away and I went in bitterness and the heat of my spirit. So we have bitterness on the inside that starts it. Wrath is an, is an outward manifestation of that bitterness. And it's just that first boiling up of passion, that wave of rage that sweeps over you. You almost can't control what you do. So first we have wrath is an effect of, of unforgiveness and bitterness. Next we have anger. The Bible says anger. What is anger? Anger is a visible outward resentment. Anger is a great desire for revenge. I want revenge. I want justice. I want you to get what you have got coming to you. You know, uh, and, hey, and this isn't righteous anger. This isn't righteous anger. Did you know that it is possible, possible for you to be angry and not sin? Hey, you know what? Hey, but anger could also be sinful. In the same chapter, Ephesians 4, verse 26, it says, Be ye angry and sin not. So there's a way to be angry and not sin. Righteous anger is not sinful when it comes from uh, the zeal of God and religion. When it's against sins and not people. 
We can all remember the story of Jesus Christ and the money changers in the temple. Jesus Christ, at, at some point in Jesus' ministry, he said, if someone hits you on one cheek, turn around, turn the other cheek, let him hit him on the other, other cheek. But then there was another time when Jesus got some righteous anger and he went up in the temple and he took his belt off and he overthrew the tables and he whipped them jokers out of the temple. My Jesus wasn't a pushover. When my Jesus, when it was time to get the job done, he got the job done. But he knew when it was time to be angry and when he wasn't time to be angry. You see, when you can't ever lose control of your temper. I'm not saying you can't have a temper. Our God is an angry God, uh, but he never loses control of his temper. His temper is always in control. And his anger is always directed at the right cause. You know, uh, you can, you know, this was about, this was about the house of God being defiled. This is about his religion being attacked. This is about his God uh, being, uh, being made a house of uh, merchandise. And, and that time, in the zeal of in this, in Jesus' godly, righteous zeal, it was time to be angry. Now, I'll be honest with you. Most of our anger is not righteous anger. Most of the anger that we have is not righteous anger. Very rarely is righteous anger. Uh, so anger is another manifestation of this bitterness that results of unforgiveness. What's another one it says? It says clamor. You know what clamor is? Clamor is breaking out in a loud shouting match. Uh, usually, usually clamor is laced with some colorful metaphors. You know, there's some colorful words. Sometimes you got to get a thesaurus to go through some of the words and understand them. But that's what clamor is. Clamor is that, that yelling match, that shouting match. Hey, that could even lead to some blows. That could even lead to somebody throwing some, throwing some punches. That, that's what clamor is. That is a result of bitterness. Oh, Brother Brett, I would never do that. I would never yell at someone. I would never cause a scene. Really? Really? Give it time. You don't check your bitterness and tell me if that didn't happen to you one day. Because it'll happen. It'll take over you. Your wrath will consume you. Your anger. And what's the next thing it says? It says evil speaking. Evil speaking is another result of this. What is evil speaking? Evil speaking is slander against someone. It's slander against someone either to their face or behind their back. Basically, it's bad gossip. That's what it is. It's bad gossip talking about somebody. I, I always say this about gossip. If you got something to say about someone and it hurts them, it's gossip, whether it's true or false. Oh, but I'm just telling the truth. Was that going to hurt them? Yeah, well, then it's gossip. Okay. Now, here's another form. Uh, here's, uh, here, here's a good form of evil speaking that the Lord brought to my mind that we contend with today. And you know what it's called? It's called Facebook blasting. Do you have a couple people on your friends list that are Facebook blasters? I know I got a couple people on my friends list that are Facebook blasters. And man, if you tick them off, they're going to get their little phone out and I'm going to show them. And they're post. And they're just going to blast them out in front of God and everybody. So those people you don't want to tick off because well, I don't want to be Facebook blasted. OK, but that is a form of evil speaking. OK, that's what unforgiveness will do. 
unforgiveness is going to bring resentment and bitterness in your life. And even if you don't show signs right then, if you don't check that bitterness, if you don't check it by forgiveness, forgiveness is the only way to get rid of that bitterness. If you don't get rid of that bitterness, it's going to grow into all these other things. So this is what happens when we don't forgive people. And then it says, with all malice. Basically, what, that's, what that phrase means, it says all of the above. You take all these things and put them away. The, with the absence of forgiveness, these personality traits are inevitable. This is your life. If you, unforgiveness, even if it's a small little thing, verse 31 is your life. If you don't learn to forgive, verse 31 will be your life. We all know someone who walks around angry all the time. We all know someone that it, it doesn't take much to set them off. We all know so you have to walk on eggshells and be careful what you say around this person because if you say the wrong thing, they're going to go off on you. And they're just always walking around angry and they just, just seem like they're miserable and you want to know why? Um, probably because they are. Because they've allowed bitterness and they've allowed uh, and resentment to get a hold of their heart. Instead of getting rid of it, they left it alone. And like a cancer, it has overtaken them. It has overtaken their personality. It's who they are now. And they just walk around in misery because all because they didn't want to forgive someone. And it changed them forever. So the first thing we have this morning is the absence of forgiveness. And let me tell you something. The absence of forgiveness is not a pretty sight. So first we have the absence of forgiveness. And next we have the application of forgiveness. The application of forgiveness. So let's read verse 32, uh, the first part of verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. With the application of Forgiveness. You see, we've seen the results of unforgiveness. Now let's look at the effects of forgiveness. What's the first effect of forgiveness? What does it say? It says, be ye kind one to another. And you know what the first effect of forgiveness is? It's kindness. Kindness is the first effect. This means to be mild. This means to be courteous and polite. Okay? 1 Peter 3.8, finally be all of one mind, having compassion one uh, one of another, love as brethren, be courteous. Let me tell you something. Don't walk around being rough. Don't walk around being crabby. Don't walk around being sour and have a sour attitude and a sour disposition. Hey, you know what? Don't walk around like that. Do you know what the secret to being polite is? You know what the secret to politeness is? It's called benevolence. You know what benevolence means? Benevolence means wanting to see other people happy. That's what benevolence means. Benevolence means wanting to see other people happy and not rude. Not rude. Who, want, who wants to be around a rude person? I had a guy come in my shop a couple weeks ago. He had Galatians 2.20 on his tag. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And uh, to be honest with you, he's one of the most rudest people that's been in the shop in a long time. What a sad, sad testimony for a Christian to have that a Christian is rude 
Because, man, you're rude to someone and they see a, 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 a church sticker on your bumper. Man, you're rude to someone and they see a Bible on your dashboard after you've been rude to them. Man, that's not a good testimony for Christ. Not at all. Hey, we have to watch that. Your kindness and courtesy will be a result of love, goodwill, and the desire to make others happy. Do you have a desire to make others happy? Or do you just have a desire to make yourself happy? What's your desire? Do we desire our own happiness or the happiness of others? What's the next result of forgiveness? It says tender-hearted. Tender-hearted is the second result. Hey, uh, meaning a heart that is apt to pity and compassion and sympathy, especially when it comes to a brother in Christ that has fallen. We have a bad habit in our church, and you know what? Baptists have a, have a bad habit. You know what the Baptist bad habit is? We like to kick each other when we're down. And when we're, a lot of times a Baptist will see someone, and instead of, instead of helping them out, we'll laugh at them, we'll kick at them, we'll point at them. And that's not the way it ought to be. We ought to be tenderhearted, and we ought to have sympathy for that person and help that person and help them up. Okay, don't kick another brother or sister while they're down. It's, it's, it's time to be compassion. Have a tender heart. We shouldn't be hard-hearted. We shouldn't be a hard-hearted people. And how we prevent from being hard-hearted is to be forgiving. Don't be hard-hearted. Have a tender heart. Be compassionate. Have some sympathy for someone, especially when they've done wrong and they've messed up. Don't shun them. Forgive them, lift them up. So it be kind, be tenderhearted. And then the next phrase of this verse, it says, forgiving one another. We see here that God calls us to forgive. Christian, you're, you're, you're going to be one of two people. You're going to be a scorekeeper or you're going to be a grace giver. You're either going to walk around with your little scorecard and keep score or you're just going to be a grace giver and give grace. Which one are you going to be? Romans 12, 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. That, that verse says, give place unto wrath. Know what place you should give your wrath? Don't hold on to your wrath. Give your wrath to God. Because He is the one who's going to repay. He is the one that has, is in the vengeance business, not me and you. And He could get somebody way better than me and you ever could. Give it to God. You know what? Forgiveness, it sets two people free, and one of them is you. Forgiveness sets two people free, and one of them is you. The Bible says in Matthew 18, 21 through 22, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Jewish tradition was that you should forgive someone three times. Three times was it. After that, you're done with them. That was Jewish tradition. Peter knew this. So Peter, went to, Peter was talking to Jesus and said, Peter knew the rule was three. And he said, uh, hey, Jesus, do we forgive people seven times? 
And in Peter's mind, he was probably thinking, oh, I know the rule, is, the, rule, the rule of thumb has been three times, and maybe Jesus will be impressed with my seven times. But Jesus wasn't impressed with his seven times. He, did, he said, no, not seven times. How about 70 times seven? Now, let me stop there. Jesus wasn't specifically telling us that we need to count 490 times. And after four, at 491, no. Okay, that's not that's not 491. One more over the line and it's it. Okay, he wanted us to count to count 490 times. Basically, he was saying there should be no limit to the forgiveness should be no limit to the forgiveness. So what do we have this morning? First, we have the absence of forgiveness. Next, we have the application of forgiveness. And then finally, this morning, we have an analogy for forgiveness. An analogy for forgiveness. Let's read back verse number 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Look at that. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. God has enabled me and you to forgive. And the example that he gave us was the example of his son. That was the example he gave us. As God, because of what Christ has suffered and done, because of what Christ did, God has pardoned me and you. And let me tell you how he's pardoned us. He has pardoned us first. He has pardoned us freely. He has pardoned us freely without merit on our part. I have no merit. Okay, he, is, he, he did not do it uh, on my merit. He did it on the merit of the blood of his son. Okay, so he pardoned me freely. Without my merit, I could have done nothing to get pardoned. Okay, he pardoned me. He forgives me freely, and then he forgives me fully. Why? Because he forgives every offense. Every offense. Every offense. Every offense he has forgiven. So he has forgiven me freely, he has forgiven me fully, and he has forgiven me liberally. Because if he forgave every offense, then he has forgiven me a lot. Because my sins are innumerable. So he has pardoned and forgiven me freely, he has pardoned and forgiven me fully, and he has pardoned and forgiven me liberally. See, God forgives us not on our merit, but on the merit of his sons. Blood, not because we deserve it. We don't deserve it. He says, hey, you, hey, Christian, I forgave you and you didn't deserve it. I know so-and-so doesn't deserve it either, but maybe you should forgive them anyway. He said, if I can forgive someone that, can, that doesn't deserve it, maybe you can forgive someone that doesn't deserve it. Hmm. 2014, a movie came out, named, uh, it was called Unbroken, really good movie. And it's about a man named Louis Zampernini. Louis Zampernini was an Olympic runner who uh, went to fight in World War II. Louis Zampernini was in a, a plane wreck on the ocean, and he was marooned on a raft for weeks and weeks and weeks. He was marooned on this raft, and then I guess he, he was rescued by the Japanese. He spent the remainder in the war bouncing between POW camps and maybe it was because Louis Zampernini had kind of a name for himself because he was kind of a star because he was an Olympic, uh, an Olympic runner. But everywhere Louis Zampernini 
went, he was mercilessly beat. Just beat and beat and abused more than everybody else. Through the whole war, he was just beat and beat and beat and beat. And man, when Louis Zampernini come back from the war, this affected him greatly. He thought it wasn't going to affect him, but the bitterness was inside of him. And it rose up. And before you knew it, he began to be bitter towards his family. He began to be bitter towards his friends. One night he woke up and he had his hands wrapped around his wife's throat, choking her. And when he come to, he let go of his wife and realized that he was having a dream about strangling his captors. Louis Zampernini said he didn't know how much longer he could take. His wife took him to a revival meeting. They went into this revival meeting and there was a young man preaching the revival. You may have heard of him. His name was Billy Graham. Billy Graham was preaching this revival. And uh, uh, on the second night of revival, Louis Zampernini came down to the altar and accepted Christ as his Savior. Now, Louis Zampernini had always been a religious man, but he realized at that time he didn't need a religion. He needed a Savior. He needed forgiveness. And because he experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, now he was able to forgive his captors. And he let that bitterness go. In October of 1950, Louis Zampernini went back to Japan to meet, meet a few of his captors and even led two of his captors to Christ. 1997, when Louis Zampanini was 83 years old, he was going to, was he 96 or 97? Uh, he was uh, going to carry the torch for the Olympic Games in Japan. He went back to Japan, and on his route, while he was running, carrying the torch, he passed the prison where he was beat at. While he was there, he met one of his main captors, the, the person who beat him the most, the person who was over the prison where he was, and his name was um, Morishuto Wantabi. They called him the bird in the movie. They call, everybody called him the bird. Louis Zampernini went up to the bird and said to his face, I forgive you. After all he put Louis through, Louis still forgave him. Why? Because Louis said, if I can obtain forgiveness, then I can give forgiveness. And that's the main thing. How can we obtain this forgiveness? Bible says in Psalms 86 and verse number 5, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Everybody can probably remember the first time they saw the ocean. I remember the first time, and really it was the Gulf of Mexico, but to me it was the ocean, okay? So I remember getting on the beach in Biloxi, Mississippi, and I remember looking out over the ocean, and I remember trying to look for land on the other side, and there was no land to be seen. The ocean was as, as far as my eye could see. And you know what? God's forgiveness is like that. Because no sin is so great for our God. His mercy is like an ocean. It's unending. You see, Christian, I want to tell you this morning that sin separates us from God. 
Sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59, 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, and that he will not hear. God can't hear me. I am cut off from God forever because of my sin. One sin is enough. One sin is enough to cut me off from God. But, you see, even though sin separates, from, separates us from God, the cross redeems us. Ephesians 1, 7, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. You see, sin separates us from God, but the cross redeems us. When Jesus was on the cross and they were casting lost lots for his vesture, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was directly talking to the soldiers, but I think in a broader sense, he was indirectly talking to me and you. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus has forgiveness for us today. Let me tell you something. The church isn't the place for forgiveness. A priest isn't the place uh, of forgiveness. No, forgiveness is the person of Jesus Christ. That's it. That is forgiveness right there. One time, uh, Jesus said to a man that he was healing, he said, thy sins be forgiven thee. Ooh, and that made the Pharisees mad. Ooh, they got angry at him for saying that. They looked up and said, hey, only God can forgive sin. Jesus was like, exactly. That's the point I was trying to make. The point I was trying to make is that I am God and I can forgive you. Okay? Uh, at the cross, at the cross there were two thieves. There was one on either side. One, uh, one, uh, one of the thieves, one, one man chose to be bitter and went to his grave being bitter and angry. But the other man chose to believe and he received forgiveness. If our greatest need was finances and money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need was military conquest, then God would have sent us a warrior or a general. If our greatest need was pleasure, then he would have sent us an entertainer. But you know what our greatest need was? Our greatest need was forgiveness. So he sent a savior. Now let me ask you a couple questions this morning. Are your sins forgiven? See, because the Bible says, uh, the Bible says, for there's none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the Bible also says that God commanded his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you have this? Maybe you can't forgive. Maybe the reason why you can't forgive someone in your life is because you haven't obtained forgiveness yet. Why don't you obtain that forgiveness today before this day is up? You don't have to leave this place lost. You don't have to leave this building unforgiven because in a few minutes we're going to have an invitation. 
When the invitation starts, every head's going to be bowed, every eye's going to be closed, and this altar will be open. And if you've never in your life obtained that forgiveness, if you've never in your life obtained that salvation from God, you can come down here and get my attention, and I'll take a Bible, and it'll just take a couple minutes, and I'll show you how you can obtain this forgiveness. And I'll show you how you know when you leave this earth, you open your eyes in heaven with Jesus. Are you forgiven? Now, here's my second question. Are you harboring bitterness towards someone? Is there someone right now that's flashing in your head that you can think of you're bitter towards? They're not the prisoner. You are. You're the prisoner. And they will have power over you for the rest of your life until you forgive them. Maybe you're harboring some bitterness in your life. Get rid of that. No, the only way to get rid of bitterness is forgiveness. If you don't get rid of it, Christian, it will change. It will change you. It will change who you are. You won't like what you'll become if you don't learn to forgive. But Brother Brett, they don't deserve to be forgiven. Really? Were you? Was I deserved to be forgiven? No, I wasn't. Neither were you. Psalm 32, 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Forgive one another as he has forgiven us. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Just a minute, we're going to have an invitation. Like I said earlier, if you're in here today and you don't know 100% that if you died today, you'd go to heaven, get that settled before you leave here today. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you've never asked Him to uh, completely forgive your sin, and I'm not talking about in prayer, dear Lord, forgive my sin. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about repenting and coming to Him at a one-time thing and accepting him, him as Savior and as doing that, you accept forgiveness for your past, present, and future transgressions. That is what salvation is. If you're in here today and you've never done that, then you can come down to me and I'll take a Bible and I'll show you how you can obtain this forgiveness. Maybe you're a Christian here today and you're harboring bitterness in your heart. Maybe you're in here today, somebody has wronged you, and instead of forgiving them, you've held on to it. But if you don't let go of it, it's going to change who you are. It's going to change your personality. It's going to change your family. It's going to ruin your family and your marriage. It's going to ruin everything. Bitterness is a horrible, horrible thing to hold on to. Bitterness doesn't hurt the other person. Bitterness, the only, only victim is you. That's the only victim of bitterness. Let that go today. Leave it in this church. Don't take it home with you. Leave it in your pew. Leave it at the altar. Don't take it home. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the invitation we're about to have. Lord, I pray that your will be done. Thank you for what you've done for us. Help us to forgive others like you have forgiven us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed. As the music begins to play, you do what the Lord has laid on your heart. <laughs>